0: I'm Marianne Kolbisak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Aaron Miri, CIO at Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin. Aaron will be speaking to me about identity and access management, as well as customer identity and access management, or SIAM, issues. So, Aaron, there's a push across many industries to implement customer IAM, or SIAM, that aims to provide a more frictionless transaction experience For customers, what can you tell me about what you're seeing in healthcare? And what about at Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin?
1: So, when we say customer in healthcare, we are actually talking about everybody from internal customers all the way to the patients that you care for, all the way to people that are unknown in the community that could walk in your front doors, your emergency department at any given point. In addition to that, from an academic healthcare perspective, I also have students. I have residents, I have folks that are transitory, meaning they come in and teach a lecture and then they fly away and come back six weeks later. So healthcare is very, very dynamic. So when we say customer identity and access management and really managing that entire ecosystem, the first step you have to do is understand who's coming on site, what are they doing? What are, is important for them to access? How do I figure out this really is Aaron? And then how do I try to automate and really dissect that out? A lot of it is process and understanding your customers, as you said, before you even think about technology. In our case also, because we are one of two major vaccine hubs for the COVID-19 vaccine for Central Texas, I also have a giant population of people coming in my front door for vaccines as well as normal patient care purposes. So having to dissect those folks out as well and say, okay, are you going to go into the hospital or are you just going into the clinic for your shot, what's going on there. So it becomes very, very intricate. And all of that is interweaved by systems, technology, and process.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there with the whole vaccine hub and making this process more streamlined for people. And how would those people be accessing your systems or transactions? Would they be setting up appointments? What sort of things would they be doing?
1: First thing we wanted to do is make sure that everything was smooth end to end, no matter what type of patient you were, whether you were already known by UT Health Austin, whether you're completely unknown from the general public, whether you're a student at UT or a faculty member or staffer or athlete or whatever it may be. So we wanted to make sure that it was secure, it was easy, it was understood, and that we avoided duplicates. One of the problems in the United States of America is that there is a prohibition, a federal ban on a unique patient identifier to uniquely identify you. So there's likely multiple Maria Gonzalez or even Aaron Meary's in the system because you simply have people doing their best to say, are you a unique patient or not? So behind the scenes, what we're doing is we have a number of algorithms running, constantly trying to scrub the data to say, okay, did Aaron inadvertently register twice? Or did he try to register his parents and put his email address down instead? Or is his home address incorrect in terms of what we're seeing in the United States Postal Service lookup tools and things like that? So because of a lack of a unique patient identifier, it made our job infinitely more hard to make sure we uniquely identified who you were. We got you prioritized based upon what the state of Texas was requiring for vaccination. And then we made sure that we followed you through the entire journey for your first shot and your second shot. And that you weren't inadvertently saying coming in and getting a Moderna shot when you should be getting a Pfizer shot. All of those things are critical. And all of that goes back to really identity and access management. I can tell you what, that we did such a good job of eliminating duplicates and looking at this in partnership with the rest of the university and then across, obviously, the state immunization registry. We're one of the best at reporting the data to the state immunization registry and one of the most accurate because of the things that we're doing. But it's a lot of hoops to jump through, but it's important.
0: So Aaron, when it comes to other customers in Siam, as you mentioned, it could be clinicians, it could be med students, patients, employees, so on and so forth. How are you approaching those other constituents to make access and transactions more frictionless while still being secure? You mentioned the uh, patient ID issue, but how about for like employees and other people perhaps that work for you?
1: So we do a couple of things. Number one, yes. If you are an employee or faculty member or student, or you're a known known customer, let's call it that way, uh, you do have a unique employee ID that helps link you through all of our systems. So what we try to do is it's a bunch of automation. Uh, leveraging major tools that are out there to automate role-based access based upon your ID and the role you are, whether you're a doctor, nurse, teacher, student, whatever. Number two, we make sure that all of our systems are looking for those key characteristics, which is like a two-factor authentication, something you are. So it's your employee ID and something you have like your phone or some sort of key fob or some sort of way to uniquely identify you, but we're keeping you secure. Because the one thing we've also realized, we're not oblivious to this, is that the University of Texas is front and center in the news a lot, which leads you to a lot of potential theft from phishing attacks or whatnot. So we make sure that we front end two-factor authentication for just about all of our faculty and staff. Further to that point in the clinics, we employ some badge tap software where you can sort of tap and go throughout the clinics and throughout the rooms and the systems as needed. And it's because, because a normal healthcare environment is a very mobile one and a very fluid one where you're using multiple systems and multiple computers and applications throughout a course of a day as a clinician. So not wanting to have someone type that in over and over and over again is a big win. So we've tried to use security and understanding our customer base to simplify and smooth the transactions between systems and then front-end all of that with two-factor authentication.
0: And Aaron, what about digital identities and device-based trust to facilitate experiences like passwordless authentication and continuous in-session authorization? How do you see that potentially fitting in in healthcare use scenarios?
1: So it's a little easier when you know the device is assigned to an individual. We do that, right? We profile all of our devices. We, we filter on MAC address. We have a NAC solutions running on site. We understand if someone tries to hook up a device to one of our, our SSIDs in the clinic, they won't be allowed to do anything, or they just maybe be vetted through our guest network, and all they can do is get to the internet. They can't do any harm. They can't see any other networks, and we employ micro-segmentation to separate all of our key systems out from all of our others those are all common standard practice in the industry what becomes even more difficult is on the patient side because if i try to lock down and say you can't do a bring your own device kind of strategy that's a patient dissatisfier right patients come in especially if they're on an inpatient unit you'd be amazed like at our pediatric hospital how many times a patient requests a, a child will request to bring their xbox they want to hook up their xbox because they're in the room recovering from say chemotherapy or whatever else I mean, you've got to allow for some variability, so we can't lock it down as much. So the best thing you can do behind the scenes is network segmentation, profiling devices where you can to look for anything truly foreign or malicious. And then it's really about watching traffic patterns, right? Is there a spike here? Are people doing something malicious or are they just simply going and streaming Netflix or, you know, Xbox Live or whatever it may be? And then last but not least is you have to have a clear understanding of where your crown jewels are. What do I mean by that? I mean EPHI, I mean any sensitive IP, I mean any sensitive thing at all data set, you know, whether it's confidential, you need to know where any of that data lives and where it is to be in transit and at rest. Those are key tenants. So we have a number of other software suites looking at the data so that regardless of device or where you are, whether you're in a virtual desktop session or you're actually logged in with a laptop or you're on campus or you're VPNing in we're actually watching the data and we're actually watching the packets flow and we're actually watching who is accessing what, where and how and looking for trends and spotted anomalies. We have a great SOC, a security operations center staffed by some phenomenal people and we're constantly watching these dashboards. But as the environment gets more complicated, I think there is an emerging market here for patient systems and patient access identification at the edge and somehow leveraging a suite of tools or a strategy to begin to profile and fingerprint and say, this is Aaron. This is what Aaron does in the course of a day as a patient. This is where he's going to go to. And if anything deviates from that, say one or two standard deviations, now we have a situation we want to look into.
0: And finally, Aaron, are there any other IAM trends in healthcare that you're seeing or expect that will emerge
1: post-COVID? I do. I think what you're seeing now is more of the hospital at the home. And, And a lot of that comes from awareness of what telemedicine, and other solutions are are able to provide for us. And quite honestly, this past year has developed a trust with the clinician to say, okay, I can trust to do a primary care session over Zoom, or I can trust this home monitoring device to do hypertension monitoring for us, or I can trust this Bluetooth thermometer reading and that's good enough for me. That took some time and it took this event to happen. So I do think you're gonna see that trend. But when you extend the four walls to the bedroom of someone's home, you still have to be able to trust the bedroom. You have to be able to profile what's in here, right? You have to look for is anybody trying to snoop the network. Very similar to how VPN works. And if you know you go to a foreign country, you're watching IP addresses and try to geofence out known rogue states, the same thing is gonna start having to happen with a risky or non-risky home environment. and, And having to come up with an understanding of okay, this is good, or oh man, this home network has like a million other people snooping on it. We can't, you know, we can't extend the hospital network there. Those are conversations are going to have to get through. But I do know that with uh, 5G becoming a lot more pervasive throughout the United States, and broadband access expanding, this is going to be something we tackle sooner rather than later.
0: Thanks, Aaron. I've been speaking to Aaron Miri. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.